This is, uh, of course, a special day for all of us. Open your Bibles to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. And, you know, the pastor, the preacher on Resurrection Sunday has just an amazing privilege to talk about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But it's quite a burden. So here in one message, we're going to talk about the centrality of the entire Christian faith. So in one message, we're going to communicate everything there is about the resurrection, which is all of Christianity. So I hope you brought a lunch. No, it's not going to be. It's not going to be like that. So it's it's interesting. So this is my twenty first Resurrection Sunday sermon at Grace Baptist, which is hard to imagine. And I remember my my first Easter Sunday here. We'd average about fifty people, and we had one hundred and thirty five that day. So there are all these members that I'd never seen before. I remember that from years ago. And that's one of the things that I look forward to so much on this day is new friends. Seeing people that we've not met before who come and they're introduced to our church on this day. I think about uh, Joni Starnes, how she came and was saved that first Easter Sunday 21 years ago that we were here. And so it's just fun to meet new friends on this day, but to gather with people that we really love to talk about the resurrected Savior and what that means. Our theme today is the day that death died. Let's look at this Romans chapter 1. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God. So the apostle Paul, an apostle, was someone that, that had seen the resurrected Christ and was called to a specific ministry, and that was the establishing of the New Testament churches and writing down the Scriptures. Verse 2, by which he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh. All right, so this is an important thing. Concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. So he is Jesus Christ, and I hope he's your Lord. The Apostle Paul is identifying him as the Christ, that is the Messiah, but he is also Paul's Lord as he writes this which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh. So the seed of David, that means that he could be the Messiah because he came from the right family line. And then as God, he needed to take on flesh and bones so that he could die on the cross to pay for our sins. So when it says they're made according, or according to the flesh, it's a really important thing. And then verse 4, "...and declared to be the Son of God with power..." according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for the fact that you sent your Son to be born of a virgin, to live a sinless life, but then to die on a cross, not for his sin because he had none, but for ours. And then you raised him from the dead and he conquered death. Lord, thank you for accomplishing those things for us. Help us to learn a few things about that today. In Jesus' name, amen. Look at verse 4 again. And declared to be the Son of God. So this is so fun. The job of the preacher is not to debate. The job of the preacher is to declare. This is the truth. 
This is who Jesus Christ was and is and always will be. I love what the Bible says in the book of Hebrews. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. You can trust Him. And it says, declared to be the Son of God. Now, we can become sons of God if we place our faith and trust in Him. But Jesus is the only begotten Son of God. He's the only one concerning it, so and declared to be the Son of God with power. I love this phrase right here. According to the spirit of holiness. He was able to be declared to be the Son of God because he was completely sinless. That word holy, it means... I think that, that sinlessness of Christ, that'd be a great place for an amen. Don't you think? Let's try this again. It says, according to the spirit of holiness, Jesus was completely sinless. Amen. Amen. That sinlessness is what allowed him to die on the cross to pay for our sin. He could have died on the cross as a sinner, but that wouldn't have paid for our sin. That sinlessness is vital. So he's declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness. Look at this. By the resurrection of the dead. So I can declare him to be the son of God. But the thing that declares him to be the Son of God is His resurrection from the dead. And He is risen. He is risen from the dead. So I want to talk about this a little bit today. Let's look at some things. The day death died. So what is the resurrection? This is such a great point. The mess, And I can say it's a great point because you see the quotes. It's not my point. I'm, I'm quoting this. The message of Easter is not that Jesus is alive. It's so much more. The message of Easter is that Jesus has risen. So if Jesus was God and was alive, but had not died, then we're still in our sin. So the message of Easter is so much more. The message of the resurrection is so much more than the fact that he's alive. It's that he's risen from the dead. That's what separates Christianity from every other faith. What is the resurrection? The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the single greatest event in the history of the world. It is so foundational to Christianity that no one who denies it can be a true Christian. So if you call yourself a Christian, but you don't believe that Jesus died on the cross, was buried for three days and three nights, and then bodily rose from the dead, then you're not a Christian. This is the heart of the Christian faith. Now, someone might say, well, wait a minute. I know someone who says they're a Christian and they don't believe in the resurrection. Well, I could say I'm the queen of England. And none of you call me your majesty. <laughs> okay. I'm not the queen of England. Thank God I'm not a queen of any kind. It's really, it's really important that we understand that Christianity is defined by Christ. A Christian is a follower of Christ. And the foundation of the Christian faith is Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. So if you don't believe in the resurrection, you're not a Christian. If you want to become a Christian, then accept the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and then you can be a Christian. You know what? It is an exclusive club. But we want you in it. My friend Dalton Robertson and I were in uh, Philadelphia one time. We saw this really cool building and saw some fancy people going in, nice restaurant. So we thought we'd go in, have dinner there. And so we started to go in, and he said, this, this guy, real, real officious, um, I'm sorry, this is a private club. Are you a member? And so I said, I wouldn't belong to any club that would have me as a member. <laughs> I know who I am. It's, it's interesting. In Christianity, we are an exclusive club. But everyone can join. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, 
that rendered every person in the world savable. You can be saved. All of us can be in the family of God, but we're in the family of God through a birth. And that's the new birth. And the Bible says, Jesus Christ said, you must be born again. So this idea, the the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the single greatest event in the history of the world. It is so foundational to Christianity that no one who denies it can be a true Christian. A person who believes in a Christ who is not raised, believes in a powerless Christ, a dead Christ. Look at our text again. Verse 4, and declared to be the Son of God. What are those next two words? With power. A dead Christ is a powerless Christ. That's not the Christ of the Bible. If Christ did not rise from the dead, then no redemption was accomplished at the cross. And your faith is vain. You are still in your sins. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then your payment has not been paid on the cross. Because that idea, when Jesus rose from the dead... That proved that his sacrifice had been accepted. And now we have the opportunity to be saved. What is the resurrection? Look at Romans 4.25. I have it printed for you up there, but you can look in your Bible. Romans 4.25. Speaking of Jesus, who was delivered for his offenses? For our offenses. Who was delivered for our offenses... And was raised again for our justification. So that word justification, what does that mean? Well, it means that we are justified, that we are declared just. So there's a cry in the world now for social justice. How many of you have heard of people talking about social justice? Well, justice is real and you don't want it. We all think we want justice. So, And and I'm the worst at that. You know, I I would be the one complaining about things not being fair or whatever. And I want justice until I see the lights coming up behind my car for going 80 in a 65 or whatever. Right? I don't want justice then. I want mercy. Right? And I never get it. But here's the thing. And I think the reason for that is I'm not pretty enough. My wife hasn't ever had a ticket, I don't think. And she drives faster than I do. All you police officers, take note. She's right over here. (laughs) Justice, justice, justice is righteousness. And it's righteous judgment. When Jesus rose from the dead, that allowed him to declare us righteous based on his sacrifice. See, on the cross, God treated Jesus the way that I deserve to be treated. So he can treat me the way Christ deserves to be treated. He rose for our justification. So what is the resurrection? The resurrection is when Jesus Christ himself, the Son of God, he was dead for three days and three nights. And then he bodily rose from the dead. He died for my offenses. And he rose from the dead so that I could be made righteous. Because there's nothing in me. That is righteous. You see, all of us have some enemies. What are these enemies? They're they're enemies that we all face. And we'll see what some of those are. The first enemy is sin. The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And I think we all know that we're sinners. I've only had one person in my life tell me they had never sinned. And that was was an odd conversation. You know, it'd be like someone, there's no such thing as error. 
You know, we're not really here. This is all just a simulation. <laughs> we're not, how do you talk to somebody like that? It was, it was quite difficult. Um, sin. This is my enemy. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? You see, sin, I'm not only in sin, sin's in me. And the Bible says for the wages, what you get for sinning, you know, your wages are what you earn for what you do. The wages of sin is death. Man, I'm glad the verse doesn't end there. The second half of the verse says, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What a wonderful promise. But I have an enemy. My enemy is sin. And not only am I in sin, but sin is in me. And what that does is it leads to something. It's death. And that's been called the last enemy. The last enemy is death. Romans 5.12 says this, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon some men, all men, for that all have sinned. You see, there is a club that we're all in. You know what that club is? It's called Sinners. Right? If there was Sinners Anonymous, I'm Jim, and I'm a sinner. We're all sinners, isn't that right? And the problem with that sin, it would be bad enough if sin just caused us the problems that it causes us. You don't have to raise your hand on this, but I could just ask you, how many of you ever done something that you know is sin and it caused you trouble? Right? You stole something or... You know, you cheated on a test or you lied or whatever. And then, you know, dad applied the board of education to the seat of learning. <laughs> you know, sin that causes us trouble, either through punishment or through our own uh, trouble. So the results of that sin. Wherefore, as by one man sinned into the world and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. So we know that because of sin, we're all going to die. The problem is the Bible says, and as is, it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. You know, there, there are people that believe that when you die, everything just ends. It's done. What's interesting is often those people are the ones crying out the most for justice. So if there's no judgment after death, then there really is no justice in the world. I don't think any of us would believe that Adolf Hitler paid enough for his atrocities. He took the easy way out. Uh, of course, he might be in Argentina. I don't know. You know, you have all those things that are going on. <laughs> he, he took the easy way out. If there's nothing after death, then there really is no justice. And so that yearning that we all have for justice, it will be completely unfulfilled. But there really is something that happens after death, and it's the judgment. And we're all going, the Bible says, we, we're all going to be judged. And you can either be judged, this is such a great thing. Imagine if you were going to go to the bank for a loan and you don't have any money, which of course is why you're going for the loan, right? <laughs> but have you ever noticed banks don't want to loan to you if you don't have any money? Isn't that hilarious? So you can go as a pauper and ask for this loan and they're not going to give it to you. Or you could go as Bill Gates. Now, they might say, why are you borrowing money? But I think he's a pretty good risk. Right? So you're going for a loan. Would you rather stand in the pauper's place or in the billionaire's place? In the billionaire's place. 
at the judgment seat of Christ, or I'm sorry, at the great white throne judgment, when we all are judged, if you're a believer at the judgment seat of Christ, as an unbeliever at the great white throne judgment, if you have to be judged, would you rather stand in your righteousness or in Jesus Christ's righteousness? Isn't that an amazing comparison? How would you compare your righteousness to Jesus's? I don't have any. The Bible says all of my righteousnesses are as filthy rags. I don't have any. So if I'm going to stand before God, I would much rather stand in the righteousness of Jesus Christ than in my own righteousness. That's what we are going to face. And so because of sin, there's death. But after death, there's judgment. And so what happens is that leads many people to fear. The Bible says it this way, And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear Him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. So now we have death as a reality. Sin's a reality that leads to death. Death is a reality that the older you get, the more people you know that pass through that veil of death. It's a reality. And because of that, that leads to fear. The Bible says that pe- there are a lot of people that, are, that they fear death. These are our enemies. Then doubt. So what happens, because we all know that we're sinners, and because we all know that we're going to die, and even those that um, would identify as atheists, and I think most atheists are actually agnostics. We'll talk about that in a minute. An atheist is one who makes a positive declaration that there is no God. The agnostic says, I don't know whether there's a God or not. And so those who believe that death is nothing more than the worms crawl in, the worms crawl out, the worms play pinochle on your snout, you're, you're done, ashes to ashes, dust to dust, and that's it. People who claim that in their quiet moments, in their innermost thoughts, they know that that's not true. All of mankind throughout all of history has tried to answer the question, what happens after death? And people are trying to do a lot of things with it. Some people are freezing themselves, right? So that one day they'll be able to be reanimated. You know, some of them have their heads cut off after they die, and they put their head in a freezer because their brain's there. So hopefully they'll be able to reanimate that head. I would think possibly there might be some parts missing. You know, (laughs) if that happens, it's not going to be much of a life. But it is, it is so amazing how these, you know, Ted Williams, the baseball player, and I think the reason that he made this mistake was he played for the Red Sox and not the Yankees, but that he, he had his head cryogenically frozen. And that's exactly the same thing the pharaohs did, except for the freezing. The same thing. And so all of these ideas that people try to come up with, there's nothing new under the sun. Those who say there's nothing after death in their heart of hearts, they know that there is. And the Bible has declared what that is. It's the judgment. And so that leads to doubt. In spite of all our great learning, death remains the one area where skepticism and agnosticism abound. What's skepticism? It's the doctrine that the truth of all knowledge must always be in question. You can't really know anything. You ever heard somebody say that? All right, and so it starts with this. There's no such thing as truth. And what are you supposed to say when someone says there's no such thing as truth? Is that true? <laughs> such a great question. And it's so fun when you do that. There's no such thing as truth. Is that true? 
you know, Frank Turek says that's the Wiley Coyote method. So, you know, Wiley Coyote, what's his one goal in life is to catch who? The roadrunner. So the roadrunner's running out, meep, 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 and he runs out, out to the edge of the cliff. Somehow roadrunner's there. Here comes Wiley. He's out there. And it dawns on him that there's nothing underneath him. And he falls, right? That's what happens. That's exactly the same thing that happens when someone says there's no such thing as truth, and you ask them, is that true? All of a sudden, they have no philosophical or logical foundation to stand on because they're assuming the truth of the statement, there is no truth, while claiming there is no truth. We all know that truth exists. Skepticism. There are things that we ought to be skeptical of, right? The federal budget. <laughs> you know, there are things we ought to be skeptical of. There are some things you really ought not to be skeptical of. Young people, mom's got the flame on on the gas stove. The fire's hot. Don't be skeptical of that. Right? No, you can be. Right? Somebody has some kids, they've got to prove it for themselves, and they, they bear the marks in their body of that skepticism. Skepticism, the idea that everything has to be questioned. Death brings that out in people. Then agnosticism. This is the belief that it's impossible to know if God exists. The Bible says that the fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. That's a foolish place to be. So today, April 1st, is what? Man, this is your day! <laughs> it, what's so funny is my brother-in-law, Justin Hall, he pastors in uh, Virginia. I asked him what he's preaching on, and he's preaching on that. And on the Emmaus Road in Luke chapter 24, after the resurrection of Jesus, and they hadn't uh, recognized Jesus after his resurrection, these disciples. And what did Jesus Christ say to them? Oh, fools and slow of heart to believe. It's foolish not to believe in the resurrection. It's foolish not to believe in God, and it's foolish not to believe in the resurrection. Agnosticism, you know, that's not a bad place to start. Right? I actually enjoy intelligent people that question things. I enjoy that. It's hard to deal with somebody that's dogmatic about something that's not true. Right? Never right, but never in doubt. You ever met somebody like that? That's hard to deal with. So I enjoy people that question, and I enjoy trying to search out the answers to those questions with them. So agnosticism is not a bad place to start, but it's a terrible place to end because there really is a God. So agnosticism. Do you know what the resurrection does? The resurrection, through the resurrection, Jesus Christ conquers all of these enemies, sin, death, fear, and doubt. The resurrection conquers all of those. Let's look at that quickly. The resurrection conquers sin. 1 Peter 3.18 says, For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust. That's Jesus. That's me. That he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. That quickened means made alive. So what does the resurrection do? The resurrection conquers my sin. What a wonderful thing. Resurrection conquers death. Revelation 1, 18 and 19, Jesus said, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore, amen, and have the keys of death and hell. Resurrection conquers sin. Resurrection conquers death. It is the answer to all of our problems. It conquers fear. Hebrews 2, 15, And deliver them who through fear of death 
were all their lifetime subject to bondage. You know how many people are afraid to die? Woody Allen famously said, it's not that I'm afraid of death, I just don't want to be there when it happens. Well, we don't get that choice. You know what I'm thankful of? Yeah, I don't want to die right now. There's lots of stuff I want to accomplish. I want to be with my family. But you know what's going to happen when I die? I get to be with the Lord Jesus Christ. That fear has been removed. I mentioned in the Sunday school hour, in my class, we were talking about, uh, as an illustration, um, Ruth May and Larry Clayton, brother and sister. And, and I was talking about some fun that brother Clayton and I had had in preaching his sister's funeral. And some people might think, how odd is that? Well, she lived a godly life. She knew exactly where she was going. We get to see her again. And yes, we'll miss her. And and her children, of course, miss her terribly and grandchildren. But the death of a believer is not like the death of an unbeliever. We don't have fear of death. We know exactly where we're going. We are not in bondage to that fear of death. Resurrection conquers fear. And then resurrection conquers doubt. In John chapter 20, what happened here? Remember that they, the, the disciples came back, the ladies came back, and they told people that Jesus had risen from the dead. And Thomas, what, what's, what usually comes before the name Thomas? Doubting Thomas. He said, I'm not going to believe unless I can put my finger in his hand or my fist in his side. Now, why could he put his finger in his hand, fist in his side? Because Jesus' hands had been nailed to the cross. And then a spear, large-headed spear, had been thrust in his side. And so that wound would be open. And that's how unbelieving Thomas was. So then Jesus Christ appears in front of him. How many of you think that might make a difference? So look at what happened. Then saith he to Thomas, that's Jesus speaking, Reach hither thy finger and behold my hands, and reach hither thy hand and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless, but believing. And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. What was the difference from doubting to belief? Resurrection. Resurrection counts, uh, it counters doubt, it conquers it. You know, one of the things about doubting the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we looked at some of these things downstairs a few minutes ago, but there are some things that can help you to believe in the resurrection. First of all, eyewitness testimony. Eyewitness testimony. There are more than 140 specific details about the resurrection of Jesus Christ given by eyewitnesses. We have more evidence of the resurrection of Jesus Christ than anything else that's happened in ancient history. Eyewitness testimony. Then there's embarrassing testimony. These guys who wrote down the stories of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, they included all kinds of stuff that would embarrass them. So in this chauvinistic society, God had women be the first ones to to proclaim the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Isn't that awesome? I said downstairs that some people believe that God had women see it first so the word would get out. (laughs) Women, guys would not say that. How about this fact, that the guys were all cowards? If you were going to write a legend, would you write yourself as a coward? If you were going to write this, this mythological story, would you write yourself as a coward? No, but they were. So many things, embarrassing testimony, excruciating testimony, they're willing to die for it. See, a lot of people die for things that aren't true. No one dies for things they know are not true. If the disciples knew Jesus Christ had not risen from the dead, they certainly would not have been willing to die for it excruciating testimony. Then extra-biblical testimony. There are more than 10 
writers outside of the Bible from that period of time that identify the crucifixion of Jesus Christ and the message of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You don't have to have the Bible to know that Jesus rose from the dead. No, I'm glad we do, because the Bible defines the gospel as the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ according to the Scriptures. So I'm glad we have that, but you don't have to have that to believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. The resurrection is a fact, and resurrection conquers doubt. Then resurrection conquers my eternity. John 20, 31 says this, But these are written, and this is just two or three verses after the conversation with Thomas, But these are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through His name. Resurrection conquers my eternity. I'm so glad I've got hope for tomorrow. You know, our theme is the day that death died and what it means to me. Sometimes people think it's arrogant. You know, if someone said, do you know for sure that you're going to heaven? And I said, absolutely. And you know what people think? Well, la-dee-da for you. You must think you're special. No, I think I have been bought and saved by the Lord Jesus Christ. I can't do it. You know, when you get a gift... Man, I've got some stuff that I'm proud of that people have given me. Matt Hickman made me this sweet bow. Man, I brag about that thing. I show it to everybody that comes over to the house. And they say, can you shoot it? Eh. But man, it looks beautiful. Man, when you get a gift, isn't it fun when you get a really cool gift and it's nice? Can you brag about your gift? What did you do to get it? Nothing. Matt labored for hours and hours and hours over that bow, and he's so ashamed of the way I shoot it. You'd think a tool could do better than that. (laughs) What did I have to do to make it mine? I just took it. It's a gift. If he had told me, you've got to wash my car for the next 10 years because I made you this bow, I'd say, love you, dude. Don't need a bow that bad. (laughs) It's the same thing with salvation. When God offers you that gift, we quoted the verse earlier. It's Romans chapter 10. I'm sorry, Romans chapter 6, verse 23. It says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So when I make the statement, I know for sure that I'm going to heaven, there's no arrogance there. It's because I received the gift of eternal life that Jesus Christ has offered me. And I want you to know today, Jesus Christ is offering you that gift of eternal life. And a gift can only be received. It can't be earned. How many of us deserve the gift of eternal life? The Bible says it this way in Romans 5, 8, But God commendeth, He showed His love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Man, are you glad Jesus Christ died on the cross for you? If you'll believe that and receive that gift, repenting of your sin, what is repentance? Changing your mind. It's a change of mind that leads to a change of direction. So if you're believing right now that you're good enough to go to heaven, you do believe in the death, burial, and resurrection. You believe in that. But you also believe that your good works help you to get there. Well, then you're not going to get there. Because the Bible says not... let's Let's see if the Bible's clear on this. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but by His mercy, He saved us. All right? Not by my works, but by His mercy. What's mercy? Not getting what you deserve. Remember I talked about you know driving 80 in the 65? I didn't want justice, I wanted mercy. Mercy is not getting the ticket. 
Justice is getting the ticket and the ticket for every other time I drove 85 and a 60 or whatever. Right? I want mercy. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but by His mercy, He saved us. So how do you get saved? Throw yourself on the mercy of Christ. Receive His gift of eternal life. Recognizing that you deserve to go to hell for eternity to pay for your sin, just like I do. But that Jesus Christ died on the cross. Look at Romans again. Romans chapter 4, verse 25. The Bible says, Who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. Look at chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, being justified by faith, not works, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, that sin, the death, the fear, the doubt, Jesus conquered all of that through His resurrection. He wants you to have that peace. He wants you to have that peace, the Bible says, that passeth all understanding. That only happens through the Lord Jesus Christ. So here's my question to you. I'm done. Here's my question. If you died today, are you 100% sure that you would go to heaven? If you're not sure, here's how you can be sure. Acknowledge who Jesus is, that He's God. Acknowledge His death, burial, and resurrection, that He died for your sin, that He was buried, and that He rose from the dead, proving that He was, is, and always will be God. And ask Him to save you. Receive that gift of eternal life. We're not going to take the time to turn there, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that's exactly what Paul says, the gospel that we have received. You receive the gospel as a gift. The language of the Bible is clear. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but by His mercy He saved us. Are you saved? If you died today, are you sure that you're going to heaven? This could be the day. Here, listen, look at See, the day death died. Today could be the day that your death if you'll, by faith, accept the free gift of eternal life that Jesus Christ has offered. Here's this. You don't have to stand on your head and spit nickels. <laughs> you don't have to do anything special. Just go to the Lord Jesus in prayer and just tell Him, Lord, I know I'm a sinner and I need to be saved. One of the problems is it gets confusing because people go to church and they think maybe their baptism or a certain ceremony or whatever will take them to heaven. It starts to get confusing. So we're Baptists. Baptism's important to us. Baptism's never taken anybody to heaven. You just can't get to heaven by baptism. The only thing that can save you, not church membership, not giving money, not being a good person, the only thing that can save you is the blood of Jesus Christ. That's it. Just go to Jesus in prayer. He'll hear you. And just say, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. I deserve hell. I believe that you're God and you rose from the dead. And that's what I'm trusting in to save me. I can't save myself. Please save me. You say, that's too simple. Do you know what the Apostle Paul was worried about at the church at Corinth? That they'd be removed from the simplicity that's in Christ Jesus. The gospel is so simple. It's so simple a child can believe it. It's so profound. It... it stuns the minds of the greatest intellects in the world, but it's so simple a child can receive it.
And that's that I'm a sinner. Jesus is the Savior. Lord, please save me. That's it. If you'll do that, heaven will be your home. Christ will be your Savior. And every believer is your family. What a wonderful promise that is. Thank you so much for being here today. Celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ, not only all day, but for the rest of your life. Amen? Amen. Let's have a word of prayer.